The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus began speaking in the synagogue, saying, Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Isn't this the son of Joseph? He said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself, and say, Do here in your native place the things that we heard were done in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built, to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Today, Mother Church invites us to a reflection upon the virtue of love, also known as the virtue of charity. We see some of the do's and don'ts in real-life practical applications, but we also have a sort of examination of conscience, a, a list of things to reflect upon to ensure that our love really is what it's supposed to be, that it's truly love in the image of Christ. We see the physical representations of love in the person of Jeremiah first in our first reading. He who from the womb is called by God to be a prophet, a prophet to the nations, to go forth and to speak the word of God to the people. And if you pay attention, most of the time the prophets are not there to share good news. They're there to say things are not well and you need to shape up. Now, it's not exactly a good thing to be a prophet in that case, because whenever you tell people you're doing wrong and you need to change, they're not exactly like, thank you so much. It's great to see you, too. Usually they're like, excuse me. And then what follows is less than positive. And this is exactly what the, what the, the, the prophets often experience. And this is what Jeremiah experienced. He goes forth and he prophesies as the Lord has called him to. He does the things for a love of God. First and foremost, but then for love of the people, to, to, to call them back to God, to call them back to the peace of God that he desires. And what does he get as a reward for this gift of his love, for this gift of himself? Persecutions, beatings, and imprisonment. Ain't it good to be a prophet? In the gospel, we see our Lord, who also is filled with love for the people, being as he is love itself. God is love, right? So he comes to his hometown... And there, the people love him, but they love him with a love that's rather self-seeking and very, very fickle. 
He sits down, it's the continuation of the gospel from last weekend. He sits down, he proclaims the reading, he says, you know, um, you know the, there will be one who will be sent to be, uh, you know, basically to, to, to come and to bring a time of peace, to be able to bring healing, sight to the blind, uh, you know, all these kinds of things. And Jesus says, it's fulfilled in your hearing. And he sits down and begins to teach. What we hear today is picking up and they listen to his words and they speak highly of him. Wow, Jesus. You are such a great teacher. Your words are so enlivening to our hearts. Do something for us to show us your good works. Do the things that you did in Capernaum. Do them here, Lord. And Jesus says, in short, no. Just as in those two examples that he gives, both of those times, there were plenty of people in Israel, the Jewish people, who could have received the grace, but they didn't have the faith. They didn't love the Lord enough to be willing to trust in him. But the people who were not Jews did. And Jesus says, just in the same way for them, so also for you. He, being rather prophetic, is saying, you're not living well. You do not love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And therefore, I cannot do the works here. And soon these people who had spoken highly of him, the ones are like, we know his family. This is Joseph's son, huh? They immediately are filled with fury and bring him to the edge of the hill to throw him off. That doesn't sound like a good love, does it? In a 20-minute time span, I'd imagine, you know, roughly speaking, I guess, they go from speaking so highly of you and then being willing to chuck you in the river, essentially. This is not love. And Jesus is right in saying, I can't do anything here. And they proved it. They proved it just like that. That there was, in fact, a great lack of love for him in their hearts. And so we see these examples of how love is supposed to be, as well as how it's not. And beautifully put together with them, we have the, the, the meditation, the reflection upon love itself from St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. <coughs> Excuse me. So St. Paul, this, this writing, it's, it's read at um, most weddings that one attends. It's a very pretty reading. You know, we love to think about love at a wedding. You know, love is patient, love is kind. It sounds really nice. But in reality, you put flesh on it and love is hard, as any one of us who actually tries to love knows. It asks something of us, and it doesn't always give us anything back. It hurts, and then it says, stick around, there's more coming. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but this is love. Mother Teresa beautifully said, love isn't love until it hurts a bit. St. Paul calls us to this true reflection on Christian love. Not just the feeling of love, not just the, the, the emotion of love. Indeed, these are good things to have. It's good to have the emotion of love for God, for one's spouse, for one's children, for one's neighbors and friends and family and others. It's good to like them and feel good about them. But the most important thing is to choose to do good to them. And this is where we get to the point of what St. Paul is writing. It's the emphasis upon the fact that love is not so much a sentiment of the heart, but a decision of the will. It is something that despite however we may feel, we still do the good. We still do what is right and just in that particular moment. 
It then goes down a list of opportunities for us to reflect upon the ways in which our own love may or may not be filling the standard. So it's a good opportunity for us to reflect, and I would encourage you to, to kind of take this home and to, to break out St. Paul's reading from the Corinthians, either to go in the letter itself or to break out the readings or Google the list of, you know, love is patient wedding reading, and you'll probably find it real quick. But to really spend some time with it. To really think about your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your family, with your parish, with those at school, with those at your work, with anybody around you that you happen to meet, whether you know them or not, and to question, how do I choose the good of the other? How do I choose to love the other? Love is patient. It doesn't want to be repaid immediately and as quickly as possible. Love is kind. It's not passive-aggressive or harsh. Love is not jealous. Indeed, it is present, but not overly possessive. Love is not pompous. It's sincere, but not showy. Love is not inflated. It is realistic, not exaggerated or blown out of proportions. Love is not rude. It is sensitive, polite. Love is not self-seeking. It seeks only the good of the other. Love is not quick-tempered. It is reasoned, rational. Love does not brood over injury, but rather it ponders these things in its heart, seeking to do more good. Love does not rejoice over wrongs. Rather, it weeps with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Love rejoices in truth. It does not enjoy lies. Love bears all things. It is not quick to flee when hard times come. Love believes all things. It is not skeptical of the person before them. Love hopes all things. It does not despair, even when despair seems the only logical option. Love endures all things. It is faithful. Love never fails. Because God is love. And God never fails. We can fail to love in our own hearts, but that's not a failure on God's part. It's a failure on mine. And this is the invitation for us. To choose to love. Because this is the only thing that endures. The words of St. Paul should really strike us and call us to, to reflect upon the place of love in the Christian life. You know, various other Christians, they'll, they'll say that you have to have various charismatic gifts to show that you've received God's spirit. That, you know, they, they place very high emphasis upon external signs and these kinds of things. But St. Paul says it doesn't matter if you have tongues. It doesn't matter if you can preach. It doesn't matter if you're a great administrator. It doesn't matter if all of these things, if you do those things perfectly, 100% well, but you don't have love, you are noise. You are nothing. You're a gong. It is not pleasing to the ear. It has no value in the symphony of the body of Christ. If we have not love, we are useless. Indeed, St. Paul reminds us that love is the only thing that endures. The knowledge we have of God will fade away because right now we see very, very dimly. And then we'll see clearly. Clearly. 
The faith that we have in God will fade away. In heaven, we will have no faith because we will have Christ. We won't have to trust in the things to come. We'll have them. We'll have no hope in heaven because our hope will be revealed, be realized, actualized. I won't have to hope in God's goodness and in the joys of heavenly life. I'll have them. All of these things that we experience fade away. But the one thing that endures here on earth and has eternal repercussions and that we still have in heaven is love. So this is why it's so important for us. Love really is the center of the Christian faith. It's the good news that God loves us. And we're called to love God and one another. Period. If we do that, and if we do that according to all of these things that love is or is not, we don't have to worry about anything else. St. Augustine put it best when he said, love and then do whatever you want. Because if we love properly, nothing we do will affect anyone else negatively. It will not affect our life with our Lord. We will not sin if we truly love God perfectly. And we recognize that none of us does that. We do have to sometimes ask for forgiveness where we fall short of love. We do have to come to reconciliation and ask God's grace and his forgiveness when we fall short of loving him. But in the end, the simple fact is that the Lord desires to fill us with this love. He wants us to be his image. He wants us all to go forth and to radiate with his love. Not just an emotion, but a willingness to put self aside and to will what is the good of the other, to seek truth, to seek justice. And this is the grace we ask our Lord today. As we come to offer these sacred mysteries, we give thanks to God for his love that he has shown to us. We thank God for the love that he has given to us that is able, enables us to be able to love others. And we pray that this love would ever increase. That receiving God's love, we might be able to learn how to love ever more deeply. And rejoice to look forward to the day where we will experience only love itself. And beholding the face of God together with every brother and sister in Christ.